The main thing as a broker is you have to work with clients that appreciate your time because you know what we do where we're primarily focused on national and actually now international uh, clients that are doing you know it's always our goal to work with our clients for their you know entire portfolio not just one-off deals so you know we just we put a lot of time into our projects we really work for the benefit of our client and looking out for their best interests and then the fees just sort of follow we never do anything with a, with a focus on getting the fee it's just help the clients and the fees will follow your network is your net worth Come listen to some of the most successful people I know. Share invaluable knowledge, stories, and advice in real estate, business, and beyond. This is Weiss Advice. Whether you want to take your business or personal life to the next level, look no further. Welcome back to another episode of Weiss Advice. I am your host, as always, Yona Weiss. And with me today, we have someone very special. That's right. You guessed it. Chuck Littell, all the way up from Southern California, from Collier's International. What is going on, Chuck? Hey, Yona. How are you? I am. Uh, uh, I'm doing great. I'm doing well. You, Thank God. You're, you just uh, you you just really cracked me up right there because I told my daughters last night that I'm going to be on a podcast, and my 12 year old kept saying, "That's so cringy. That's so cringy." <laughs> and uh, if she heard that intro, oh my gosh, she would uh, she wouldn't wouldn't even be able to hear you finish that sentence. She would just be <laughs> Well, girls are embarrassed to see their parents, you know. In, yeah. in, on camera. Well, it's good. This is gonna this is gonna air. You're gonna show it to them, and they're gonna be they're gonna be proud of yes. their father for, yes. Yes. for getting out there. So this is, I mean, this is something a little bit historic here. I think this is your first podcast. It is. It is. And I'm a guy who lives on listening to. I should say, fueled by listening to podcasts because I spend my weekends if I have to do anything around the house. I can't get anything done without a podcast in my ear. So here I am participating in the podcast world myself. Pretty exciting. Well, hopefully this one will be as, you know, at least as valuable as, uh, as the others you've listened to, uh, trying to yes. give back to yeah. our community and, and share with them some of their, their knowledge, even little context. I mean, you have extensive experience in the real estate industry, um, specifically in industrial. Um, so it's been 25 years already um, with Collier's, right? Yes. Well, you're aging me a smidge. I, it won't be 25 years in the business, in the industrial world until uh, uh, I think October or November of this year. So let's not age me any more than absolutely necessary. And about <laughs> actually, it's it's a little bit over 20 with uh, with Collier's. I did awesome. start at a different firm uh, in the very beginning, but uh, I've seen uh, Collier's go from originally we were a um, locally uh, broker owned a uh, very old firm, we were called the Sealy Company, and now are part of Cars International Corporate, based out of Toronto. So, I've really seen cars go through quite a transformation and been there for the whole ride. It's been quite fun. That's pretty awesome, right? You're riding up the the wave, so you have a lot of sen- seniority over a lot of yes. the, uh, the other people. Yes. <laughs> now I get to uh, now my uh, latest junior partner that joined me was uh, born after I'd been in the business um, almost five years already. So. <laughs> <laughs> and he told me his mom is much younger than me. And I went, oh, wow, now I feel older. So anyway, well, such is life. I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on what's going on, you know, because right now industrial has always been, you know, a important sector in the real estate industry. Um, obviously, it, it has taken off over the past few years. And it seems like it's just like exploding and continuing to do so. I mean, what are your thoughts on, the expansion that we've seen 
uh, with industrial? And do you think it's going to continue with this trajectory that that's been going on? Well, um, it, nothing. You know, it, it it it's hard to avoid superlative superlatives sometimes. It just always want to be like, you know, what's well, the greatest I've ever. It's un. It's absolutely without a doubt the craziest market that I've ever seen since I, you know, since I first joined in into the into the industrial real estate world. There definitely, you know, there was um, obviously a very challenging time on the opposite side of things in 08 that we all witnessed, but still without a doubt. Just sort of keeping up with the market, tracking where rates are, tracking deals. It's really become a challenging uh, uh, job because so many things are changing so fast right now. That's what's really different. It used to be sort of quarterly or take a couple of quarters for rents to go up and you can, you know, point to some deals that were done and say, oh, you know, things are going up. So maybe, you know, we've gone up another couple of pennies. Now, you know, landlords are, are, you know, seeing opportunities to take advantage of, you know, sort of within a few months, maybe a 10 or 15 cent jump in rents. So, and again, you know, and something to point out is, you know, we here on the West Coast quote everything on a, on a um, monthly basis. So, you know, if you're going from a dollar to a dollar 10, you're talking about a 10% increase within, you know, within 90 days. I mean, this is something that's just completely unheard of. Wow. So, and in reality, there's parts of the Los Angeles market where rents have gone up 30% since last fall. So it's just unbelievable right now. And tenants are paying because they have no choice. There's no space. Wow. Is there, I mean, continual, uh, what do you see happening just in terms of space? Obviously you need a lot of these industrial, uh, especially if they are, you know, e-commerce related or logistical related type properties, they, you know, proximity is, is extremely important, right? You need, uh, Yeah, everything is, you know, there's a like, there's a huge paradigm shift because for the first 15 years that I was in this business, everybody was constantly trying to reduce their inventories. They were trying to consolidate into, you know, fewer, a low, a smaller footprint, fewer locations, because of course, then you have fewer employees and fewer costs. Now everything is about, just like you said, it's about proximity to the customer. So everything is, everybody's trying to spread out their footprint. So they have much quicker delivery times and um, they're trying, you have to increase your inventory so that you can get the sale. Because mm-hmm. if you, you know, if you have a customer that goes online and tries to buy something and it's not available, they'll just go on to the next retailer. So, you know, it's, it, it, everything is completely changed in terms of they want more space, they want it closer to the customer, more locations closer yep. to the customer and larger inventories. You know, the other sort of macroeconomic force that's really um, pushing rates and making, you know, and, and and creating such strong demand is just all of the supply chain uh, breakdowns that happened during COVID. And now you yeah. have things restarting. And so, you know, that's really causing a lot of challenge because there's a huge um, blockage at the port. So people are trying to get their product in and they're having to maybe order because of the challenges in getting stuff out of the port then they're having to order ahead of time and order more stock. So add that to the, you know, the e-commerce um, trends that we were just discussing. And then it's sort of a, you know, it's actually, you know, it's a, it's a double whammy. It's really hitting the market hard. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people understand the, I mean, you talk about logistics, but the actual logistics, like you're talking about ports and delays, we're ordering products from overseas and trying to get them delivered. And there are delays on on these deliveries and it's some somewhat out of our control because there are municipalities, there are governments, there are all kinds of agencies and things like that are literally blocking traffic from allowing these things to come through. And what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and you just have, 
And it starts all the way at the beginning of the process, right? So um, I forget exact numbers, but uh, I think it was something like 40 to um, uh, 45 days for, um, you know, a product to be made in China and the land in the States, you know, and, and, and get to stores. And now I think that number is almost tripled because of delays all the way along, delays in getting empty containers back to China, delays in fact in not having the factory employees, delays in port employees, you know, not enough port employees on the Asian side. Then you also have the same issue on the American side. Then you have, you know, capacity issues with trucking companies. So there's just been a whole breakdown all the way through in the supply chain that's causing delays. And that's why, you know, I don't know about you, but I've I've been stunned lately. There's sometimes where I'll find everything that I want to buy online or in stores. And then there's still just, you know, I my favorite laundry spray. I haven't seen at Target in a year. It's still Mm -hmm. not back. I don't get it. It's funny. Yeah. No, I, I hear that. Is there, I mean, is there a light at the end of the tunnel of this? What do you think? I mean, you're not, obviously you're not a, you're not a psychic, but. No, no, I know. Well, I think, you know, it used to be that you could, you, you know, certainly in, in 2007, there were so many people dancing behind us with red flags saying that, you know, the market was so hyper that there's no way it can continue, you know, and, and whenever everybody's in, in starts saying that the market will never go down, guess what? That means the market's about to go down. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's all out the window because, you know, that was the kind of conversations that we were having, frankly, two and three years ago, because we we were already into a five, you know, five or six year run um, of such strong demand. And rent increases and sale rate increases. So, you know, there's the fact that things are so hyper doesn't necessarily mean that they're just, you know, we're, we're towards the end and it's going to die off. There's such a pent up demand. There's very, you know, if you look at the comparison of, you know, the demand versus the amount of product that's being built, right. there's still a big disconnect. The supply is not, it's, it's, it, you know, we're, we're, uh, region wide, we're in the largest in LA. We're in the largest uh, industrial market in the country, and you know we're only at one point two percent vacancy. So that's effectively no availabilities because you just have, you know, that that the last time I had a client that uh, went out looking for three hundred thousand square feet, and we in a one hour drive radius from the port, we had like three options to look at. Wow. Very 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 low inventory. So. Could it soften a little bit? Sure, but it would still be a very, very strong market. Yeah, I hear that. And I mean, obviously, there are limitations to how much can be developed and where things can be developed as well. But do you see a lot of continuous uh, new development? Yes and no. In in the infill markets of LA specifically, um, it's very challenging because it takes a long time to get entitlements. Mm-hmm. So even though demand is spiking right now, it doesn't mean that you know a building can be built right away. The typical uh, process is two to three years from when a property is is acquired. By the time you know right. real, uh, it, you know you have to get through cities, and then you have a lot of NIMBYs forces that you're fighting. Right, <laughs> not in my backyard that people don't want new distribution facilities. So um, it's challenging. There are other places in the country where it's much easier to build, and there's a lot of development going on. And I'm you know doing some business in those markets in Dallas, and you know in, in other uh, spots around the country. But it's it is in the Working with a client who's building a building in in Kentucky, that was a pretty simple process. California, it's a challenge. So, mm-hmm. I think everything in California is a challenge when it comes to government. <laughs> yeah, well, I do some business in New Jersey, and you're you're in New Jersey, so I think you're about the same. That's true. There's there's challenges everywhere. <laughs> everywhere you go, there's challenges. Yeah, uh, but you know, let's just say Chicago and New Jersey and L.A. or I mean, California in general. There's there's some commonality there. Yeah, that is uh, that is true. That's true. 
I mean, you've, you've had a great career thus far. I mean, you, you're going strong, right? You said you brought in a, a junior partner recently. Are you involved in like training new people when they're coming I in? Am. I am. Um, I am. You know, I had a couple of false starts earlier in my career where I was training junior partners and trying to, you know, really get them involved in the business and hopefully, you know, view this as a career because that's the way it should be viewed. Speaking as a guy that's been at it 25 years. Yeah. And I just hadn't really found the right mix. And so I do have a junior partner that's been with me now for four years. He's really done well. It's really fun to watch him grow and get better at the job. And I've found that I really like the training process when it works, <laughs> when my efforts are, you know, um, making progress. So yeah, I really, I like that part. We just brought on, as I mentioned, another partner, um, just finished school and now, you know, the, the, former trainee is actually doing some training himself and, you know, sort of, sort of training him how to train. And it's, and, and it's, it's a, it's a fun process. Very cool. What, what would you say some of those key factors that you need, that you need someone, so, you know, industrial, I mean, in general, being a real estate broker is challenging, I, I would say. And maybe you can uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but in my experience, and I did a, for a little stint, but I've worked with a lot of brokers across the country. And I find that about, about five percent of brokers are actually, you know, extremely successful. And yeah, you know. yeah. Well, you might be hitting it a little bit aggressive. I think that you know that it's pretty amazing how much the eighty twenty rule really applies. I think right. in real estate, you know, twenty percent of the brokers make eighty percent of the of the deals because it's just sort of the, the cream rises to the top, I suppose. And certain people take it much more seriously. You know what I what I decided to do a few years ago when my first junior partner joined is is I told him that I'm not going to teach him how to do anything right. I'm going to reverse engineer everything about his training and only tell him about all of the mistakes that I've made over you know <laughs> time over the previous 20 years so that he can avoid them. And if he just avoids the mistakes, the success will follow. Follow and it worked out great. It really did because there was a lot of you know he got the benefit of a lot of lessons that took you know some of them took me years to understand. It wasn't as if I just you know it, it wasn't you know as if I learned it in the first year. I mean these were things I'm like wow I would do that wrong for so long you know just get sort of stuck in a habit right. and either it was something that was you know um, a totally failed venture you know, spending time with on the wrong wrong type of opportunities that didn't mm-hmm. result. Or maybe it was um, spending too much time on, you know, kind of all the harder transactions that just take up so much of your time and energy so that, you know, the the kind of easier, the lower hanging fruit gets, mm. you, know, you don't pay attention to that, those types of things. So it really, it, it did work well That's with my, my junior partner. Yeah. Are, can you give me any, I mean, obviously those are, those are great examples. Any, any other lessons? I mean, doing this for 25 years, you, you've obviously had great, great lessons in terms of uh, what not to do. I'd love to hear some of those. Like what, well, yeah, what should you I avoid? Mean, besides yeah. some of the things you just mentioned. The main thing as a broker is you have to work with clients that appreciate your time. Because you know what we do, where we're primarily focused on national and actually now international uh, clients that are doing, you know, it's always our goal to work with our clients for their you know entire portfolio, not just one-off deals. So, you know, we just, we put a lot of time into our projects. We really mm-hmm. work, for the benefit of our client and looking out for their best interest. And then the fees just sort of follow. We never do anything with a, with a focus on getting the fee. It's just help the clients and the fees will follow. And so right. if you don't have 
clients that are respectful of your time and respectful of your efforts, of our efforts, I should say, then the balance just, it's just out of whack. It doesn't work. So you have to have a mutual respect for each other, a mutual respect right. for their time. You know, I don't waste my client's time. I don't want them to waste mine. And, uh, and that, you know, a lot of that does just take experience so that you can sort of see the signs mm. of what that, um, right. you know, what that is. So one thing that I always, um, um, point out to my uh, to my junior partners is watch out when you get nothing but yeses because <laughs> when you're a new guy and you got a guy that's like yes 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 you know can I meet with you yes yes do you want to look at you know it, it's not a real opportunity real opportunities come with objections and people saying no and you have to build their trust because mm -hmm. they're you know because their relationship is worth it interesting I never really thought about that but I, I definitely I can relate to that now that you bring it up um, you point that out. I mean, if you're dealing with people who are just yesing you all the time, you know, don't have objections, it's very difficult to, uh, you know, they're they're just looking for whatever's going to please them the most. And uh, yeah, well, it's 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 just it's it's you know the 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 most the second half of that comment and the most important part is the the yes 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 uh, times it usually results in a no at the final signing the, mm. when the deal becomes real, whereas the sort of yes no's no 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 then it becomes a yes at the real time because you've, you, you know, because it's a real opportunity because you've been able to add value and show the client, you know, what the different opportunities are so that they can make an informed decision. And that's when you get the yes at the end. That's when you make a real estate deal. Right. Absolutely. And all real estate deals uh, take time and there's always yeah. objections and there's always negotiations and there's always, uh, you know, a lot of back and forth. And unfortunately many deals don't fall through um, or do fall through, I should say. And that, that's just part of the, you know, you do your best to try to yeah, get yeah. through that and, and maybe try to bring it back to life as many times as you can. But um, yeah, it's 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 a difficult if, if you're inside of it, if you're dealing with it. Well, that's the other thing that, you know, that's the other thing that that came with my experience that I was part of my reverse engineering training with with my juniors is, is um, you know, I used to get really when you're younger and you put a lot of effort, you put too much emotional emotion and hope into a specific single transaction and it doesn't happen. And you're like, you know, wiped out. And it's just, you, you cannot do that. You know, you have to just, you can't get married to, to your deals. You have to right. just keep moving forward. And now when something fails, I'm always, I, I tell them you have to look at it as an, uh, from the optimistic view of this is great news because we're no longer going to spend any effort on something that's not meant to happen anyway. Right. So the sooner we learn that, the better. Mm -hmm. Right. So before I would, you know, when I was young and make the mistake of, of not really seeing the signs that it's not going to happen and you try to put a, you know, keep forcing the square peg in a round hole and all these sorts of things. And so um, that's what comes with tenure and experience. But these guys are actually kind of getting the benefit of that because I'm, <laughs> I'm telling them not to do it. <laughs> right, all right. No, all, all these things are absolutely right. A lot of these things just come with experience. And it's amazing yeah. that you can be there and be that, you know, be that guide, that you know, shining light, showing them the way. <laughs> You know exactly what to do, what not to do. That's that's incredible. Um, I do want to switch gears a little bit. Just, I'm curious about obviously with your experience in in the industrial market. Do you see anything like obviously e-commerce is huge right now, but are there any like new things coming to market? Uh, kind of new aspects or or different things that uh, we should be on the lookout and see. You know, different trends or or anything like that happening. Well, you know, just something that. It's not actually necessarily transactions that I've been involved in personally, but um, uh, one thing that I've just sort of noticed in the past few weeks driving around LA uh, 
is, you know, I think we're going to start seeing a lot more uh, reuses of non, you know, industrial properties for industrial uses. So I noticed that there's just north of LAX, there's a, um, a former auto dealership that's now a little Amazon distribution center that, wow. you know, they, they can... You know, they're certainly not going to be able to store a huge amount because the building's not that big compared to most Amazon distribution centers, but it has a huge yard. So it's full of vans. Mm. Another thing that uh, is happening in um, closer to the ports here in LA at the former Toyota headquarters in, in the city of Torrance, you know, Toyota moved to Texas a few years ago, huge office campus. Uh, one of the, you know, it was sold a few years ago to a developer that's tearing down um, office buildings and because the demand isn't there for these office right. buildings, building brand new industrial buildings. And what surprised me is one of the buildings that they built was only, I think, you know, about 10 years old. And I remember reading about it in the LA Times that it was this brand new, super green, high-tech building. So I just thought, well, they're going to tear one down. They tear down one of the you know older buildings, but they actually tore down the best one. And that's just a statement of how strong industrial is compared right. to office. That's incredible. So that's, you know, I never saw that before in my career. Nice new office buildings being torn down for industrial rebuild. Wow. It's, again, it's because it's right there in the you know center of the population. So they're ideal e-commerce you know hubs. That's right. I mean, they say that's uh, you know the three most important things in real estate, right? Yes. Yeah. You know it, that actually <laughs> the the location it, it didn't used to be such a big deal in in industrial, right? The, right. But the, the location was important, but location used to mean within you know, 20 miles or 30 miles. Like there wasn't this very, very close to the customer focus. So That's true. Yeah, it's true. I mean, and it really, obviously it d- does depend. There are different different things, but one thing that I've seen come up uh, quite a bit, and uh, I don't know if you've seen this, but um, I actually have a, a couple of friends that are involved in uh, these, you know, industrial, really in distribution of food, um, of ready food, meaning like restaurants. I don't know exactly what they're called, but like e-kitchens or things like that, similar where, you know, you may be ordering, uh, you know, online food and it's not coming from a restaurant. It's not coming from a fast food. It's coming from a a warehouse, you know, or a a similar place where they're just, you know, mass producing this, this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Those guys are certainly very active. They're not necessarily the, a huge mover in the in the market because they don't, you know, they don't require quite, you know, they don't require the size of Correct. an Amazon facility. Correct. Right? You know, those are going to be more sort of in the fifty thousand square foot, maybe right. up to hundred thousand square foot facility. The big bombers like Amazon or Target, those guys are taking down million square footers now. Right. So they're not driving the market quite as much, but they're definitely a force and they're very strong. Yeah, and and I th- I see that hap- you know just continuing that trend uh, of these things yeah, popping up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the other one that was like the hottest trend about five years ago, everybody couldn't stop talking about it. Seems to maybe have cooled just a little bit was um, the advent of uh, uh, multi-story warehouses. So I think there's one in Brooklyn that went up um, a couple of years ago. I know that there's one in Seattle that Amazon ended up taking that I toured. Um, it seems like that's cooled a little bit. I just don't hear it. I think that the construction cost is too prohibitive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, we haven't seen that in LA yet. There, it doesn't, it hasn't penciled yet. Um, but that was, that was something that when e-commerce really took off, that was, you know, kind of the hot buzz conversation within the industrial world. For sure. world because that's a thing that exists now in, you know, in other countries in Japan and such where they have such land constraints. It's, it's, you know, they're very common. 
Yeah. Just not yet. So can't build out. It hasn't, build it hasn't taken. You you would, you know, this this Toyota building is a perfect example. It's right there in the middle of the, the market and in the population, and yet they built, you know, single story, not multi multi-story buildings. Yeah, it's incredible. I think it's gonna change the landscape uh quite a bit also. I mean, if you see that happening more and more, especially yeah. if office has less demand. Yeah. Yeah. I can't speak to the office world, what's gonna happen there, but <laughs> I just am very happy that I'm an industrial focused guy. That's all I can say. Good for you. Yeah. And that's awesome. It's good to be uh, on the winning team, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But even if I didn't do have anything to do with it, I'll take it. Be happy with your uh, lot in life. Oh, good for you. Are you doing uh, any investing as well? Or you're simply on the broker side? I am strictly on the broker side. Uh, I mean, a little bit for personal uh, and, and uh, it, got, it got a little bit of, uh, you know, stock in, in some of the larger players in my own field that I, that I feel confident in backing, but, uh, you know, strictly uh, on the brokerage side as far as my main focus. Gotcha. Okay. Very good. So I'd love to transition now to what we call the final four. These are four questions I ask all my guests and uh, I'd love to hear from you. What's the worst job that you ever had? Well, let me tell you this. I was, um, it, you know, it's funny, people, uh, um, some people have no idea how you can have a job like mine where you're a commissioned only salesperson, you know? And um, part of it for me is I think I grew up uh, when I was in college, I had every single tip job that you could possibly imagine. <laughs> so I was a valet parker, I was a bellman, I was a pedicab driver in San Diego. Um, but I did, I was a, I was a bus boy in San Francisco at a restaurant and I would put in a full shift and I would go to the tip jar and my cut would be about a dollar or a dollar 50. And I, I lasted about a week and a half in that. And, and the manager felt that I was, uh, he could see the school, the disappointment <laughs> in my face. He said, I don't think this is the right job for you. So I know I kind of usually feel like that one is that, that, that was the winner. Oh, wow. We actually just had someone recently also said a bus boy was, uh, was his worst job. That was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my friend, it was at a, it was at a really nice hotel. And my friend was at, I was in a cafeteria and then he was in the next restaurant over. And probably that's part of what made my, my, my uh, day so disappointing is, is, you know, he'd leave with a hundred bucks or something, same shift because that was the nice restaurant. Right. So yeah, I'm like, <laughs> and he yeah, rubbed it in. he'd have a big smile on his face. Cause of course in the late eighties, a hundred dollars a day was some, something to be uh, happy about sure. nowadays. <laughs> get lunch <laughs> nowadays. right you pay for parking um <laughs> uh that's that's funny um okay so second question we have is what is a book you've read that's given you a paradigm shift it was, hands down um the book the one thing really changed things for me um uh, i mm. think keller is the author i'm embarrassed yeah. i forget his first name yeah um, right. he's from keller williams the real estate company mm-hmm and the funny thing was, uh, so it, it goes back to what I was talking about, you know, the, the 80, 20 rule. And I loved how simple it was in explaining that you can keep refining, uh, you can keep taking the 80, 20 rule, the next step, the next step until you end up with one thing, you know, what's the 80, 20 of most of your day in terms of where you make your money. And then amongst that 20%, what's the 80, 20 of that. And the easiest thing for me of all, was that the example used in the book for what the author discovered that he needed to do for his own business to grow it to the next level was exactly the same for mine. And that was to build a team. So Mm -hmm. when I read the book, I was actually at the time I was still, um, you know, I would partner up on different transactions with, with lots of different people within my company, but I didn't have my own formal team. And so then I realized that, you know, that's it. I have to stop what I'm doing, even if it means letting opportunities go by, look at the bigger picture that's more important and just focus on building a team. And I did that. And now this is, you know, four years later and it's really, really kicked in and really 
really made a big difference in my business. That's awesome. Yeah. I actually recently finished that one also, uh, the one thing, and you're absolutely right. It's, it's incredible when you can find that laser focus and yeah. a lot of it has to do with building a team. So I'm, I'm struggling myself right now with that and, you know, trying to outsource different things and, and you know, with my own business and finding it's, uh, it's working little by little. So hopefully- what did you find was your one thing? Um, I don't know if I have a one thing. That's the thing. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't find it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You All know? right. Well, it's, a, it's an ongoing search. Mine, I suppose is going to change now that I have the team underway. So right. now I got to, I got to reread it and, and start over again. Yeah, exactly. And it will change from time to time, right? Your different focus yeah. life changes as, as you change. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So we'll make sure to put that in the show notes for anyone who wants to check out the one thing by, I believe, Gary Keller. Yeah, that sounds right. Yes. Yep. Um, awesome. So third question, what's a skill or talent that you would like to learn? Well, um, based on the uh, bumps in the road that we hit, I would like to, uh, when we were trying to start our uh, your podcast here, I'd like to get more technical. <laughs> I, I have a lot. Of, it's actually in, in, be, in better at sort of, you know, Zoom calls and, and camera work and such. I've actually had a lot of fun with it since COVID hit. I never, it was not, it was never anything that I ever thought about before. Mm-hmm. And so I have fun doing it. So I have uh, behind me is a, is a green screen, which is a new addition to my collection. And I'm just sort of, uh, I want to get better at it for sure. Yeah. It's well, fun. this you taking the first step on being on a podcast because you're being... Oh, you're my first. <laughs> Breaking me in, my man. <laughs> that's great. I've actually been the first for, for quite a few people. So that's, uh, that's oh, fun. Wow. It's fun wow. for me. <laughs> you know, I ease people into it, right? If it's, yeah, it's, it's fun, this is easy. You know, it's not... Yeah, yeah. No, you are. You're, you're, you're very easy to speak with. Thank you so much. Seriously. <laughs> I appreciate it. So um, fourth and final question is going to be, what does success mean to you? Uh, success to me really means I just... The, the, I for, for what I do... It's very challenging to sort of, you know, um, track success, track progress. And because, you know, I can meet a client and um, finish a transaction in 60 days. It's not very common. Some of them I've met in transactions that included in 30, but most of them are, you know, sort of nine months plus some of the clients that I'll meet and I won't do transactions with them for three years or four years or so. It can be very long. So how do you track? your day-to-day, how do you track the feeling of, of success? For me, success is about feeling effective. It's about feeling like I went into work today, I accomplished something that's going to help me, not today, but I can feel that it's going to help me down the road and it's going to lay down a path for success. So, you know, it's it's one thing in our business is, you know, when you finish a transaction, it's fun. You get a nice buzz of feeling some success, but then what? Then you have to start it all over. So to me, much more important in terms of measuring success is day-to-day. Do I feel effective? Do I feel like I'm right. getting something done? I'm not spending time on a bunch of, you know, um, uh, not very lucrative paper pushing or frustrating, you know, breakdowns and kind of, you know, uh, operations around the office. It's about making important calls. It's about doing things that are going to lead to true success down the road. That's what I measure as success. That's great. And I think a lot of people, especially anyone who's in sales, which is most everyone to a certain extent or another, isn't, it's not about closing the deal. I mean, that's obviously that's fun, but you know, there's so much more that goes into it. And, um, yeah, you know, that process is really where yeah. you, where you can track that success. So that's a great kind of well, perspective I, to I, it. I, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of, uh, uh, 
real experts on success and happiness recently, you know, it, it, and, uh, you know, the one thing that I just, the constant theme I keep hearing is it's, you know, if you, if you say, oh, I'm not going to be happy until I accomplish this goal, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be whatever the goal is, you know, if you're a musician, you got to, you know, get a stadium tour, whatever, you know, if that's your only, you know, no, no one ever get, no one ever is happier when they achieve that. Right. It, because they, they get there and they go, wow, this is the, you know, I'm still the same person, whatever problems I have or whatever issues I that's right. I'm still here. You've got to enjoy the path. So that's what I'm, you know, the path to getting there is the challenge and the fun and the success. So that's how I look at my day to day. Beautiful. Chuck, where can our listeners find you or reach out to you? Well, I'm at uh, Collier's in Los Angeles, so I'm pretty easy to find on the web. <laughs> I'm not sure what else I uh, am I supposed to give out my uh, cell phone number here, but you can, uh, whatever you want. We already I'm on, have your. I'm on LinkedIn. My last name is L I T T E L L, and I'd love to uh, help if anybody has any questions or anything that I can do in terms of uh, giving some guidance on what's going on in industrial real estate world. Amazing. Thank you so much. It's been, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate you taking the time, and you know, I'm, I'm sure this is just going to springboard. If you enjoyed this, you're going to get on many more podcasts. And if you're a podcaster listening to this, you got a great new guest. So reach out to Chuck. And uh, thanks for thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much, Yona. It was a real pleasure. Talk to you soon. And to Thank all of our listeners, remember, the best advice comes only when you ask. Real quick, I have one question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I want to ask you a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message to the whole world is that if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this podcast is out on is that you like my stuff and I'm doing something right. So take a few seconds out of your day, hit that subscribe button, leave a rating review. I would be extremely grateful. Also, I want to hear from you guys. So I want to hear some feedback. If you have any questions for future episodes, please find me on LinkedIn. Send me a DM, a connection request, Yona Weiss, and I'd love to hear from you.